There are two readings today. The first is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and then I'll be jumping to Jude, the only chapter in Jude. So from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. And then from Jude. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupt flesh. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, I wonder whether you've ever been somewhere so beautiful that it makes you remark about how amazing God our Creator is. I remember going to, and I can't actually even remember the road off Phillip Island, but it's a place where you go along through these paddocks and as we were going there to watch the sunset, uh, the, the, the paddocks had this gold hue about them and then we got to the car park where you oversee the beach and you can see the sunset and the clouds were just right and the, it's like the waves were curling perfectly and... and I remember being at that spot and it was such a spot of beauty and peace and I was watching the sunset and thinking, God, you're just showing off now. 
there's some spots that we encounter in this life that make us aware of how amazing God is. There are some spots in this life that make us aware of the presence of God. And, and today, I want to speak to us, yes, we're going to talk about Revelation and we are going to talk about what happens when we die. But the point of today is that what we experience in this life is a foretaste of eternity. And therefore, it's not about escaping this life. But I'll get to the Lord's Prayer, it's about praying that eternity would come into this life. I don't know whether you've experienced the opposite of that. I don't know whether you've been travelling and you've feared for your own safety. Or, or you've gone to a place of seediness and darkness and you feel like you just have to get out of there. I remember um, being on a tour and I don't know why, of all the spots to go in Paris that everybody raves about how good it is, I seemed to be booked into a hotel in the seedy end of Paris and it was appalling, I hated it, I wanted to get out of there. I remember being on a, a, a trip through southern part of Thailand and going to, uh, someone needed to park the car we, who was travelling us around in a place in Phuket which is where all the really seedy bars are and it was like appalling and, and Lisa and I both felt repulsed by the place, we wanted to get out of there as quick as we could. You see, I think as, as the same as we experience the joy of life, we also experience darkness. And, and, I, and I'll speak a, a little bit about both of those today and how the presence of God goes into both of those today. But last week, I focused on this life. I focused on some of the biblical images that remind us of the presence of God or, or describe effectively the same thing and in my conversation with a few of you after the service, you, you mentioned to me even more things that remind us of the presence of God. These interchangeable terms in a way, they each have their own specific context and, and give some meaning but they effectively kind of mean the same thing like dwelling in the house of the Lord. And that was the one of the psalmists, Psalm 27, wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord. This idea of being known by God, by seeking God's face or speaking to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. Approaching the throne or approaching the altar or living in the kingdom of God or in one of the other scriptures, living in the kingdom of heaven. These are all phrases that remind us effectively of the same thing, that the presence of God is available to us and, and the Bible hits all these different images to remind us that God is love and the truest blessing that we could get is to have a relationship with God so close and intimate that we can feel His presence, feel His love, we can see Him face to face and understand His true identity. But the Bible also talks about what happened when we die. And it's very clear in the Scriptures that we are going to spend eternity and we're going to spend eternity in the very presence of God. The most prominent places that we hear about this idea of dwelling with God for eternity come from the book of Revelation we've just done, the, the book of Jude. 
uh, the book of Daniel or Isaiah. These are times where it reminds us that there is something after this life and that is a joyful, amazing opportunity for us. Jesus talks about the age to come. He doesn't necessarily often talk about uh, what happens when we die, but he does talk about the age to come. And remember, on the cross, Jesus promises the thief that he will be with him in paradise. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise, meaning that after we die, there is something else, and Jesus on the cross in intense pain, describes it as paradise. This concept of eternity is all about dwelling with God in His presence for eternity. And to get a sense of what that might look like and what that might feel like, the way in which we experience the presence of God in our life now is a mere glimpse into that eternity, it's, it's a foreshadowing of that eternity. In, in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12, Paul says, For now we see indistinctly as in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully as I am fully known. To use another image, it, it's, it's like at the moment we're watching something on TV and in eternity we get to experience it. It's like going to a football match and, and it's so much different than watching it on TV. Or, or, or to use the person of the moment, it's, it's like watching Taylor Swift concert on TV versus being at the Taylor Swift concert. It's, it's vastly different, it's vastly better, but it is a glimpse it is a snapshot, we do get to see it and I think that's important. We're not naive, we're not ignorant, we're not unable to get that glimpse. Paul says it's, it's, we, we get a taste of it, we get to know in part, we get to see as though it's in a mirror. And so, my first point this morning is that in eternity, we will have the fullest expression of the presence of God. In eternity, we'll have the fullest expression of the presence of God. Our experience of the presence of God in this life is a pale comparison of what God will be like in eternity. We'll experience, we experience small fragments of the presence of God, whether that's out in nature, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in prayer, in your private devotions, whether that's coming to the chapel on Saturday, or whether that's singing in worship, or, or, or going to a conference, or, or any kind of environments, we can see and experience the very presence of God in this life. And, and that small fragment, that pale comparison, that can be so powerful. It can change lives, it can shape a person's destiny, it can reframe everything about how they see life. So, I'm not diminishing how powerful it is in this life, but it's a pale comparison to what we experience in eternity. When we meet God in eternity, the whole experience will be so much richer than we can describe now. 
We will worship God in eternity. Think of the best worship experience you've ever been to in your life. And, and that's kind of like, you know, that's like kindergarten compared to, you know, the, the sort of varsity level worship that we'll experience in eternity. We will live with God in eternity in ways that are hard to put into language now. In the book of Revelation, uh, John, who's trying to describe this, says, the first earth will pass away and will be no longer any sea. You see, the, the, the sea, the image he's using here for the sea, is, is not that there won't be any bodies of water in eternity. So if you like sailing now, don't worry, you'll get to sail in eternity, it's fine. The idea of the sea, we've got to remember the, the time that they're living in, people were shipwrecked on the sea, people drowned in the sea, they didn't go under the sea, they didn't know what was under the sea. So Paul, uh, John here is saying in the book of Revelation that when the sea is no longer, it means that the fear of death that happens in the sea is no longer, there is no fear of death in eternity. There is no unknown, this sort of place that you could go where you don't know, that doesn't exist in eternity. Everything that is unknown will be known in eternity. And what a great joy that that is. The image is not that there's no bodies of water in eternity, rather that this metaphor of a world that we know today, that has evil present and part of it, won't be happening any longer. The new heavens and the new earth, there'll be no more risk of death. Now, I'm not sure about you, but I don't know what this life will look like. I, I don't know what life could be when there isn't the threat of death, when there isn't the threat of evil, where there isn't the threat of sin, where there is no guilt, there is no shame. I don't know what that life will look, look like. You know, we can describe it, but any way that we describe it, it doesn't do it justice. I think that's why it's so easy in our world to write a dystopia, because all of us can imagine what it would look like if life got worse. We can imagine that. We, we see it on our news, but I think it's so hard for us to imagine perfection, the life that is to come in eternity. It's so hard for us to describe. Our minds can't comprehend how good life will be in eternity. And any way that we describe it, it's going to sound perfect to us, but it's going to sound terrible to somebody else. And that's not eternity. All of our images of how we might describe eternity uh, fail because it sounds bad to somebody else. As I was preparing for this, I, I, I read a quote from some, a, a pastor and he said, if eternity is us floating around on clouds playing harps, that doesn't sound appealing at all. That doesn't sound appealing, does it? I mean, this life where we get to experience so much and in eternity we're just going to be sitting on clouds, doesn't sound appealing at all. I remember going to a conference in, in the UK and I remember some people came back really confused because a contemplative nun said, eternity is going to be amazing because all of creation, all of the world will be in perfect silence before God forever. <laughs> and I was like, that doesn't sound like my definition of eternity. But for a contemplative nun, what perfection, 
perfect silence before God for eternity. It sounds like perfection for her. I remember doing a funeral um, and it was a a, a guy who lived in Kew and he'd been a well-known handyman and he loved fixing things. The one story that his grandchildren told uh, told at his funeral was that he bought 15 broken kettles and put it all together to make one kettle that worked. (laughs) And the grandson said, I hope that there is a whole lot of broken stuff in heaven because Papa will want to fix stuff. And for those of you who aren't handymen or you don't like fixing stuff, I'm sure that sounds like your hell, to go to heaven and there's all this stuff that you have to fix. I think our language and our imagery pales into comparison because every person's definition of heaven sounds less perfect to somebody else. I think we've got a slide for this, Vicky. We can't accurately describe a world in which every human being that's ever... No, not the previous one. We can't accurately describe a world in which every human being that's ever lived will exist at the exact same time, at the exact same place, with God all around us, and every person will find it perfect. I don't know how you describe that. Where everybody gets an experience of the perfect life at the same time as everybody else is experiencing their perfect life, and at the very centre of it, is God himself. That's what eternity will be like. The next slide, we've got Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard describes it this way. We should not think of ourselves as destined to be celestial bureaucrats involved eternally in celestial administrative work. That would only be slightly better than being caught in an everlasting church service. And I love a church service. Maybe not your definition of perfection. But no one should think of our destiny as being absorbed in, tre- being absorbed in tremendous creative... Uh, sorry, no, we should think of our destiny as being absorbed in a tremendously creative team effort with unimaginably splendid leadership and boy, our world needs good leadership and in heaven, perfection in leadership. And on an unconceivable, vast plane of activity. So we're going to get busy in eternity. We're not going to be sitting on clouds idly, we're going to get busy and we're going to enjoy it with an ever more comprehensive cycle of productivity and enjoyment Productivity that doesn't lead to boredom and to drudgery, but we'll be enjoying it and delight. And then he goes on to quite, quote Isaiah 64, I have not seen nor the ear heard, and that's what lies behind the prophetic vision of eternity. This is why the author of Revelation calls it a new creation. The new creation in eternity will be a new heaven and a new earth. Sometimes at funerals, and I've heard this and, and I've, I've seen people do it in their eulogies, they use phrases like, um, Grandma will be at peace now that she's in heaven with Grandpa. Or particularly when you see a funeral of a little baby or a little child, it says, um, they'll be surrounded in, by angels in heaven until we get there to look after them. What, what 
happens after we die, N.T. Wright calls that, you can put that slide up, N.T. Wright calls that life after death. That little in-between time, after we die before Jesus' return, N.T. Wright calls that life after death. Now, to be honest, I'm actually giving you N.T. Wright's version of eternity, and there's probably six or ten orthodox versions of what happens in eternity, and we can't all agree, the theologians can't all agree, because nobody's actually been there and come back to tell us the accurate situation. So, if you've heard slightly different things, that's okay, there are many, many orthodox views on what happens after we die, and I'm presenting you one. I can't go into all of it now, it's a six-month course at seminary, and you still get confused after the six months. So, don't think that in, in less than half an hour I can under, give you all an understanding of what happens when we die. But the book of Revelation is very clear and paints a picture that when Jesus returns, when Jesus returns, heaven and earth will exist at the same place. We receive a physical body that mirrors the resurrected body of Jesus after Easter Sunday. The resurrection of Jesus is a foretaste of what we get in, in eternity. Jesus didn't leave and just go and dwell in eternity in heaven forever. He came back as a resurrected body and that's a foretaste of what we get in eternity. After Jesus returns and this new heaven and the new earth comes together, N.T. Wright calls that life after, life after death. And our goal our target, our destination is not life after death, our goal, our target is life after, life after death. The Bible uses the word eternity or eternal life for this whole period of time. It probably helps us to talk about everything after we die as eternity or eternal life, from the time that we die through what happens in the in-between, through the return of Jesus and to all time in existence after that. The image in Revelation is that heaven comes down to earth and the earth is the place where God will dwell with His people forever. The new heavens and the new earth will be the place where we experience the presence of God forever. The book of Revelation says that this new creation where heaven and earth exists together doesn't need churches and temples because God Himself is dwelling. And the people of God, they'll be the pillars of the new temple. I don't know about you, but it sounds amazing. And that's only a glimpse, because we can't describe it adequately enough. Our destination is not to leave this world, to get out of here in a hurry, but our destination is the new creation where heaven and earth exist together and the presence of God is there in the centre of it. That's our destination, life after life after death. But I think this is so important for us to get right. Because if our goal is to leave earth and somehow go to heaven and dwell there forever, then this life doesn't make, a dif make any difference. In fact, our goal would be to get out of here as quick as we can and get to the true place of our existence. But if our goal is to be part of new creation, if our goal is to see the recreation of all things, 
then working to see the kingdom of God break into our world is vitally important. That's what we should be on about. Not aiming to leave this world, but to restore and renew this world. And so when we do this and life matters, then the Lord's Prayer is the, the key to how we lead our life. That we're to pray for heaven to be here on earth, the ways of heaven to break into our earth today. There are some evangelical ways of promoting the gospel that's all about a ticket to heaven, as though our goal is to leave this life. And some of those evangelical methods actually mean that people disengage with any work that changes our world around us. It's almost like social justice becomes an anathema to those people because it doesn't matter because we're really just going to leave this world. But when we take the book of Revelation seriously, when we take the prayer that Jesus taught us seriously, how we transform this world makes all the difference. We don't wait for the day where we leave the earth, we wait for the day where heaven and earth are fully restored in one place with God at the centre. So what do we do until Jesus returns? Well, we get busy. We get busy restoring all things, knowing that like the presence of God is a foretaste of eternity, the way in which we see the restoration of all things is only a glimpse of eternity. Think about someone dying in hospital. And, and some of you have sat with someone dying in hospital. I've done that. If the goal is to get to heaven, then we usher them off as quickly as we can. But if the prayer of Jesus is right, then we make them aware of the fact that Jesus is sitting with them as they're dying. Jesus enters into the darkness of sickness and death and is with them. God is not just present in the great things that we see, but God enters into the dark places as well. God wants to transform those dark places with His presence. It might be hard for us to be there, but we pray that God would be with people in the darkness. The presence of God is not ju just available to us at the best of times. Jesus came to earth and entered into the frailty of humanity, entered into the brokenness of humanity. He entered into all of these things to show us that His presence is with us in the frailty and the brokenness and the fragility of human existence. And so we pray for people all of the time and, and whenever we gather for prayer, we pray some really difficult, hard prayers. And there are times where we don't even know what outcome is possible. We don't know how to pray for a restoration or an improvement in somebody's situation. And sometimes we're totally lost for words. And so what we do in those times is to pray that that person is aware of the presence of God all around them. That they would know that God loves them and that God is with them in their brokenness and darkness. We pray that God would bring his light into darkness and that Jesus will be with people in their hard times. So in the weeks and months and years ahead, as we chase this vision of being people who live in the presence of God, 
I want us to have in the back of our mind this eternal destination, not just life after death. I want us to have in the back of our mind life after life after death where Jesus will return and there'll be the restoration of all things and it will be a perfection that we cannot describe in any way at all. And that will be our eternal hope. But in this life, I pray that we would have a relationship so close with God that we would feel His presence now, that we would get that glimpse, we would get that life in a mirror, as Paul describes it. And that those are powerful, wonderful experiences that transform us and help us to deepen our relationship with God. And that we look forward for the day when Jesus will return and we'll see the complete restoration of all things. And heaven won't be a destination that we flee to, but heaven will be so close and tangible that we'll see the presence of God in heaven and earth in the one place. And so until that day comes, pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, that God's kingdom would be here on earth as it is in heaven. Gracious God, we praise and thank you for who you are. We thank you that you're not a distant or aloof God, but that you are present with us. And Lord, we long for the day where we see the restoration of all things. And in the meantime, Lord, we know that your Spirit is with us directing our works so that we would see your heaven here on earth. And we make this prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Amen.